0: and your love for others would be seen and heard. Amen. You may have a seat. Worship team and media folks, thank you for serving. We just recognize that it is a great service to the body of Christ, what you're doing. And um, each of you, Have spouses, families, and so we just appreciate you guys coming early and spouses uh, helping serve and uh, making it happen so that the body of Christ can sing and uh, give praises to the Lord. Uh, One quick announcement, and then we'll get after our text for today in Revelation 2. Uh, next Sunday, so today is uh, July 19th, next Sunday in seven days. If you are looking for an opportunity to serve, maybe you just had your hands open and you're like, Lord, I want my life to count for your son, Jesus. I want to serve the church. I'm kind of like directionless and, and I don't know what I'm good at. And Lord, you know, I've never taken a test or whatever, but do I have to in order to serve? You know, you just kind of like got that I wanna, I wanna serve more. Next Sunday we're gonna have, uh, we're gonna call it Shadow Sunday for the worship team setup and media service. Okay, so if you're like just, if you're just willing, if you wanna learn, okay, we wanna welcome you here at eight o'clock, and uh, we're just gonna be training folks how to plug in stuff rap chords and uh, and get this set okay if you want to view it with like hyper old testament um, uh, lenses on you could be like I want to serve the levites right they they are the musicians um in what ways can I be the, the manpower for them how can I how can I structurally help that they can thrive in in their artistic and music endeavors to serve us and so you want to think of it like that. That'd be great. So eight o'clock, um, and uh, we'll be. You want to just pray about afterwards being a part of the breakdown team to help them break down. So ideally, like five, ten years from now, we would love those who serve and come early and sing and minister to us in this way. If they could be amongst the body and receive some face-to-face contact, however many feet apart you you. you you know, are um, that would that would be beautiful for the longevity of our worship leaders. And so, if you want to be like, you know what, I'm going to minister to these guys by taking their guitar off of them and unplugging and rolling it up and putting in the case, and I'm going to serve in that way. Um, uh, would you pray about that? And if you're watching online, would you pray um, that to be a future ministry for you? That's all I got. Okay? Hey, let's pray one more time, and then we'll, uh, we'll get in the text together. So, Father, we're asking you right now, as we approach your scriptures, we know that when we open up the Bible, it's like heaven itself opens up, and you speak. Would you meet and speak with us now? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, kids... I don't know if you saw the video last night, but um, we want to encourage you today to take notes in an artistic way. Moms and dads, there are many ways to take notes uh, for a sermon. It doesn't have to be so linear with Roman numerals and 1, 1a, one 1a, one little one, things like that. Um, what we're doing today Um, is we're drawing pictures, okay? And so if you're at home and you're on the living room, carpet, awesome. Go get a brown marker, go get a black marker um, and get your colored pencils, things like that. There's clipboards in the back and it's just a blank sheet of paper and we'll walk you through um, the text with pictures today, okay? We're in the seven churches, so go ahead and open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. We learned last week that Jesus himself, the Son of God, is walking through these churches. And he is like a gentleman. He's walking through and he knocks on the house and he opens up. And last week we saw that he looked around the house and he said, wow, great job, church. These are real churches, real people in real time. Great job, church. The lights are on. You remember that? Kids, you drew a picture of some LED lights, some light bulbs. And we said that the light being on meant that they pursued knowledge of the Lord. That they had a, 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 a desire for truth, a high value on orthodoxy, right? But he also said, Whoa, I'm in this house and I think I need a coat on. It's cold in here. There's no love. You've abandoned your first love. And so we said, hey, let's pursue both heat and light. Let's not abandon the love, but also let's not abandon the light. Let's pursue both, right? And today, friends, Jesus, the gentleman, he's going to walk into this church. And he's going to walk into this house, and everyone look up. Here's what he's going to do. Oh, it smells so good in here. If you ever sold a house, or maybe you're like looking for a house, you're in the realtor world, you know that a trick in this in this trade is, hey, if you're going to sell a house, put some cookies in the oven. okay, And then set the timer when the appointment is at like 4 o'clock, have the timer go off at 3.55, pull those cookies out or pull the blueberry muffins out or whatever, set them on there so it smells homey in the house. And then the folks come on by, they open up, and they go, oh, I love this house. It probably always smells like chocolate chip cookies. Let's buy it. It's, you know, it's done, right? And Jesus today goes in this church, and he's like, this smells like chocolate chip cookies, okay? My favorite cookies, by the way, uh, for you foodies out there, uh, peanut butter, peanut butter, the peanut butter ones, right? The ones where you take a fork and you push it down and make that tic-tac-toe board. Around Christmas time when you put a little chocolate uh, like Hershey's Kiss in there, it's the best, right? But like I love those peanut butter cookies. And you got you to gotta take them out of the batter. You got to roll it up in a ball. You can't just put it in the oven like that. You got to take that fork and press it down. And then you got to put it in the oven, okay? And actually those are our two points today. And kids, if you're taking notes, the challenge is, I want you to draw a big cookie, a big cookie on your sheet, okay? And for every verse that you hear, we're going to march through this text, and it's going to be like, all right, we're on verse 8. Draw an 8 and a big circle around it, and anything that you hear that's important, write, some, write those words around that chocolate chip, okay? Okay? Everyone got it. So you'll hear verse nine, nine circle within that big cookie. And then moms and dads take a snap of that, post it online, and we'll put it on our Facebook page and we'll hashtag that thing up. Kids sermon notes. OK, you ready? I'm excited to, to see some notes. Let's read this together. It is Revelation chapter two. Verses 8 through 11. And I'm going to ask you one more time in honor of God's word to stand for the reading of the scriptures. Here's Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. This is the word of the Lord. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last. Who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw you, some of you, into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The title of the sermon today is Pressed But Not Crushed in the Two the two points, the main things that we're going to hang our hat on is this church is a suffering church. So it's pressed down just like the fork is pushing down on that cookie. And then this church is put into the oven. So verses 8 and 9, pressed down, 10 and 11, put in the oven, okay? Let's get going. Kids draw your cookie. Here we go. Um Let's get to know this city first, okay? There's a little bit of picture here for you to, um, just visualize that this is a real city. This is what's going on, okay? Here's, here's three things about this ancient city called Smyrna. Well, uh, the first thing is that this city was crushed. It was, it, it was like dead and it came back to life, okay? Um, today, the modern day name of it is Izmir, Turkey. Um, and after being defeated by the Lydian kingdom, Smyrna was restored during the Hellenistic period under the order of Alexander Great. Um, so later, this city became one of the main cities in Asia in the Roman Empire, um, and it competed to be the first city in Asia um, between Pergamum and Ephesus. And um, there's there's this um, archaeological discovery that there's this coin and it says the finest city in all of Asia. And so this city was dead, but it was rebuilt and it gave them great pride to call themselves the greatest city. Okay. So second, it was a really wealthy city. Um, this city, if you look on a map or if you go to the back of your Bible, you'll see that it is a is a port city. So it's right along the shore. And um, uh, so there was a lot of ships going in and out, uh, uh, especially selling spices. Uh, the soil in this city was super rich and they were especially known for fine wines. And so it was a very wealthy city. They were very rich with regards to um, money. And then third, it was a very faithful city. A uh, faithful city according to the Roman Empire. Uh, so architecturally, and you can see a little bit, there was a lot of um, things built to um, worship Caesar and the, and the Roman gods. There was actually this street called the Golden Street of the Gods. And there was temples and buildings built all around this street in the form of a crown. And so when you looked at Smyrna from a distance, it was shaped in such a way so that the people over time called it the crown city. So, the Roman Empire uh, deemed this city very faithful, very loyal. Uh, it was it it showed high allegiance to Caesar and the gods. What was it like there to live as a Christian, though? Way back then, what was it like to be a Christian? And just the the short of it is it was really tough. It's really tough to be a Christian. There was a great altar there uh, called Caesar's altar. And every year, um, as a part of the citizen of Smyrna, you had to go to this altar and burn incense to Caesar. And if you did that, you would receive a certificate that that you had completed your act of being a good citizen unto Rome, unto Smyrna, and unto the gods, right? And without this certificate, You'd be persecuted greatly uh, because you'd be violating the highest law of Smyrna. There was these great feasts every year in Smyrna. And uh, uh, all the food was dedicated to the gods. And it was this great place to plug into the social pipeline. This was the very culture of the city. And if you didn't go, it was like vocational suicide. Because you couldn't meet people. You couldn't network with them. And so there was this great tension there for being a Christian. If I don't go to these feasts, if I don't offer up incense to Caesar, then there's no way I'm going to make money. I've got a family. I've got kids. How am I going to feed my family? How am I going to survive if I don't do it? And so you can just guess. You can jump into the minds of the people of Smyrna, of the Christians in Smyrna. And they—they they I'm sure they were wrestling with attention like, you know what? Maybe, maybe if I just go, maybe if I go to these feasts, and if I, if I offer incense, and if I say, Caesar is Lord. And even if I don't believe it, maybe if I just do it, well, hey, the Lord will forgive me and I'll have friends and, and maybe that'll be a quote-unquote blessing. And I could say that the Lord's providing, right? Which would be taking the Lord's name in vain. So that, no, I can't do that. The Lord's been so faithful to me. How could I with my words deny Him and with my very life Because going to these things is supporting the the value of them. I can't go. There was also a large uh, population of Jews in the city of Smyrna. Um, The the Jewish uh, people, those who practiced Judaism or Judaizers, um, denied that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the Son of God, the, the living one. Um, and, and still to this day, Jews who don't embrace Jesus uh, deny him as the Messiah. Uh, these Jews, during this time, uh, treated Jesus' followers with great contempt. And the term Christian was, was not a term of affection in this ancient city of Smyrna. Just one more thing on Smyrna. The name Smyrna, the word itself... In Greek means myrrh, okay? Now, kids, have you ever have you ever thought about or, or can you place where else you've heard myrrh in the Scriptures? Is there a time in the Bible when someone was born and was given myrrh? Come on, come on. This is the classic Sunday school answer. Who's got it? Who's given myrrh? All right, you nailed it. Nice job. Right, so Jesus was given myrrh. Myrrh is a special spice. It comes from these thorny trees that when you press it down, it secretes or it gives off a beautiful aroma. And so Jesus walks in this church. He looks around and he says, this is a suffering church, but they smell so good. They're being pressed down. But how they are responding and the the pressing nature is making them a beautiful aroma in my nostrils. And I love them. So friends, this is the church of Smyrna that we're going to study today. The question would be, how in the world is Jesus going to speak to them and encourage them? Like, what's he going to say? What can you say to encourage a suffering church? Let's get after it. Verse 8. This is point number one, pressed down. Kids, draw your cookie and get your first chocolate chip in there. Verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and last who died and came to life. First, Jesus tells them who he is, where he's been. And he introduces something unique about himself that will be especially meaningful to this particular local church. So first he says, hey, listen to me. I've been where you've been. Look at that, the first and the last. First and the last, that means the eternal one, the Alpha, the Omega. He says, I am the Lord, I'm God, and the most unique thing that I can share about myself right now, or the lead the, the lead leg that I'm going to start with, is that I am over time. Which is important to say, because I'm going to say, church, I'm going to tell you something that has happened in your life, And I'm going to share something with you that will happen. And you need to know that I was before time, that I exist way before time. I started time. Like I am in control and over time. I know your future struggles. I know your past struggles. And I am the God over it. I'm transcendent. And yet I show up and speak to you in time. Look at the phrase, the one who died. Isn't that great? Our Jesus, our Savior, He was crushed. And like myrrh, He was crushed on the cross. And the beauty that came from that is so sweet. And it says that He came to life. That our Jesus rose again. And if you follow me, this is an invitation to Jesus, I can promise you, Life on the other side. Here is the trajectory of my life. And if you embrace me, you will follow in my footsteps. And you will be crushed. But I'll give you something that outweighs this life. It'll be your greatest treasure. I'll give you myself. And it will be life. And it will be so much better than anything you experience. And so a city like that, like Smyrna, in a sense... The city died and came to life. It came back. And now this church is being reminded that their Savior went through the same thing. Number nine, verse number nine. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So verse nine says that Jesus wants them to know that he knows. Okay. So kids write down, no, K-N-O-W. Okay. No, this is not just, I intellectually am updated on the events of your life. And I know, I know what's happening. This is, I am acquainted with you experientially. This is John uses the word no. So read John, read first John, read second, third John. When he says no, it is an experiential, intimate knowledge of them. Well, what does he know? Uh, three things he mentions. He says, Hey, I know your tribulation. I know it well. So he knows their tribulation. Tribulation means pressure. Okay. And I know we're in the book of Revelation, and some of you might be going, Aha, I've been waiting for the word tribulation. Maybe he's gonna talk on the seven-year tribulation and finally like we'll we'll know the future. And you know what? It means pressure here. They're like in a pressure cooking pot. These people were pressured to give up on Jesus. Like, give up, give up on your pursuit of purity and get just just bail on all the commands of Jesus and get on board with what the world is doing. It's easier. We want you to just come follow us. And so they were feeling pressured. They were feeling like maybe we should just give in. They were squeezed on all sides. And this squeezing was producing a faithfulness, a love for God. Second thing, he says, I know your poverty. Number two, I know your poverty. Okay, poverty means uh, the, the original word is penea, which means pennies, we would say. They had pennies, and some didn't even have pennies. They were absolute financial wreck from following Christ. And for the church today, you need to know that in being a Christian, you have to forsake even opportunity cost. Like these people back then, like chose to gather. They were like, I could be fishing right now. I could be selling. Or buying myrrh. I could be, oh my goodness, it's the season for harvesting grapes. How could I even put aside a few hours to give to my Lord? No, no, I'm I'm gonna, right? And they gave it up, and they were they were in poverty as a result. They didn't go to the feasts. they didn't make the same amount of money as the people around them. And Jesus speaks directly to him and he says, You're rich in me, and that's way better. You're rich in me. And then he says, I know the slander. Let's look at that. It says, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So the phrase, those who say they are Jews and are not, This doesn't deny the Jewish bloodline uh, of the persecutors. Um, Rather, it just mirrors the assertion that Paul makes. um, Ultimately, Jewishness is not an outward thing, but inward. It's related to a circumcision of the heart by faith. If you're looking for a reference, go to Romans 2, 28 and 29, right? And these people... They were slandering Christians, and they, in doing it, they thought that they were doing a good thing. They thought they were serving God. If I speak against these people, then I will be righteous in my own eyes. But they weren't. The word slander is blasphema, which where we get the word blasphemous. And it's used 18 times in the New Testament. It talks about... Speaking of God that defames his reputation. To be blasphemous. When you speak of God and you lower him. And you don't speak well of him or truthful of him. And these people, they believed, they they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And if you speak against Jesus, that makes you an enemy of him. A blasphemer. So that's why those who slander Christians are said to be from the synagogue of Satan here against the church, against Christians. The name Satan means adversary. And so those who blasphemy is an adversary against Jesus himself. So back to the image, kids. Okay, so you got your fork out. And you're pressing down those cookies, okay? You got your tic tac toe board, and this is a picture of the church. They were pressed down, and it hurt, but it was producing something beautiful in them. And uh, my and my, uh, my car guy in Texas, uh, he always used to say, "It ain't fudge unless you heat it up, right?" And so you got you're in the kitchen, you're pressing down these these cookies, and what do you do next? What do you got to do? You got to put it in the oven, and that's what's going to happen now, okay? So here's where the church gets put in the oven, proverbially. Verse number 10, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison, that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. So friends, Jesus tells them that they're going to suffer. So the comfort that this church experience is not Jesus saying, hey, I'm here and I'm going to remove you from worldly struggles. I'm going to take you out of the pressure. Jesus says, I'm going to help you in and through it by giving you a perspective of what will happen in the end. The text this time, if you notice, says the devil the devil is about to throw you into prison. The name devil means slanderer. Isn't that interesting? So the devil attacks people. He slanders them. And God, he has control of everything. And, and we say that the, the devil is like on a, on a leash that God allows him to, to work in, in his ways and his power. But it's a short leash. He can only go this far and no further. According to God's permission only. If the devil seeks to kill and destroy the faith of God's people. He is the slanderer. Uh, it says 10 days. You're going to be in the pressure cooker. You're going to be put in prison. You're going to suffer for 10 days, right? And I know there's, there's probably a lot of writing on this. A lot of really smart, creative pastors have come up with like how to interpret 10 days um uh here's here's the quick and dirty on it. I think it's an allusion to the book of Daniel, okay? So Daniel it, uh, gets this uh gets this idea, prays about, you know what? I'm not going to eat the king's food. It's rich and fatty. You know, I'm going to take my buddies over here and we're going to eat vegetables and water. And after 10 days, why don't you check in on us and see how we're doing? You do a little evaluation and after that time of that time period, that short time period, you make the call. Okay? And so almost it's this it's this reference this New Testament way to to give allusion from the Old Testament to say, "Hey church, it's kind of just like in Daniel, God was faithful then." And he's going to be faithful to you now. This period of testing won't be forever. Endure well. Endure patiently. You got it? So, Rakshak and Benny, that's them. So remember them. And then it says, be faithful unto death. Do you see that? The last part of verse 10. And I will give you the crown of life. And he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So friends, this church was called to be fearless. And now their call is to be faithful. Their goal or perspective or thing to set their sights on in the moment of suffering and persecution was that Jesus one day will give them the crown of life. Isn't that great? Just even knowing a little bit about Smyrna now, the crown city, That Jesus says, hey, here experience in the crown city now, but I will give you the crown of life. And one day you will have eternal life if you believe in me. Isn't that cool how Jesus was so culturally relevant? Isn't that wild? (laughs) I love that. The one who receives Jesus, they're, they're called the conquerors in verse 11. Those who conquer will not be hurt by the second death. Uh, Revelation 20 uses that term second death to give reference to when, when, Je- uh, when Jesus throws Satan and those who follow Satan into the lake of fire and they experience the second death. So if you follow Jesus, if you're faithful unto me, if you have faith and if you follow me, you're saved from the lake of fire. Um, let's just take a quick moment and study that word conquerors. Okay, it's from the word nikao. Um, You'll see up here it means to be victorious, to conquer. It's used 17 times in the book of Revelation, and in the New Testament it's used 24 times. Uh, I know that doesn't jazz you or get you super excited. But I do want to include some of those things in my sermons to equip you and help you learn what it means to study the Bible. These things are very attainable, and it's not like a pastor magic trick or anything. It's just looking it up in a commentary or looking it up in in a word study and finding the word victory from from that, like a Strong's Dictionary or a Vine's Dictionary, and learning uh, deeper about a certain word. If you notice, this word nikao sounds a Lot like our shoe company, Nike. You're right. This is where they get it from, right? And so the story goes. The story goes that um, that the, the first marathon happened by a guy from Marathon Bay, running to Athens. After a war and shouting to the people, Nike, Nike, or actually the, the, the proper word is Nineke Kamen. <laughs> we have won. We have victory. So we, and then past tense, and then the word Nikao. So it's victorious for us. And actually, the, the story is that when he shouted that after running 26 miles, that he went, Ugh. And just died, right? It's like, okay, there we go. Um, but um, that's that's how Nike got got his company. They wanted to pursue victory, and um, and so Jesus is saying, those who follow after me and are faithful to the end will be victorious. They won't be thrown in the lake of fire. A suffering church is given great perspective in the here and now, and also. It, In the days to come. So let's close like this. Here's four lessons to learn from this text. And kids, if you're taking notes with a cookie, you can just write down like a number one, period. Okay? Here we go. They were purified through persecution. Lessons to learn this church was purified through persecution. They were myrrh, they were pressed down, they were put in the oven. And Jesus was so pleased with them. Just this quick note, this is not just normal suffering like, ouch, my foot hurts, I'm suffering. This was persecution from being bold for Jesus Christ. There's a famous quote that says, The church has always been the purest and the most fragrant when it goes through times of suffering. So this church was pressed, but they were not crushed. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 and 9 says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. And struck down, but not destroyed. Friends, I want to be like this church. This, This particular church is probably the most uncommon church as it relates to the Western church or the American church. We need to learn. We've got a lot to grow in this area. Number two, uh, Jesus was pleased with them. So lessons to learn, Jesus was pleased with them. Uh, there's only two churches where uh, Jesus walked through them and he didn't have anything corrective to say. It's this one and the Church of Philadelphia. And we'll get there uh, in the weeks to come. Um, but just a, a question to ask our church do you ever wrestle with that concept? you ever ask, Is Jesus pleased with me? Like, how could he be pleased? with this church. He has nothing to say to them. Like our, our family, we're way into musicals and uh, there's this song in Wicked. It's a uh, popular, anyone know this song? And right before it, the two main characters, um, the Wicked Witch of the, the East and the Wicked Witch of the West, they're talking to each other, they meet in college. And the, the good witch go, goes to the bad witch and goes, oh, well, we're going to be friends and I'm going to make you my project. I'm going to make you popular. And then they like start singing, right? And, and you kind of get this idea that following Jesus, that he's never quite pleased with you. You're his project and you're never there. He's always like ugh, with you. You ever wrestle with that? in this church... They suffered deeply and they were deeply faithful. And Jesus was so pleased with them. He likes them. Of course he loves them, but he looks them. he just likes, he just wants, he just enters the house and goes, ah, it smells so good in this church. Friends, it is possible to please him. More on that. In the years to come but Jesus loves you and he likes you and he wants a relationship with you and he enjoys you way more than you enjoy him and I love that about our Lord a great way to walk with Jesus this week is to simply ask the question whenever you face any decision or anything would be this hey Lord would this please you? Would this please you? Would you like this if I did this? If I think this way, if I act this, would this be pleasing to you? I just I just want to live in your pleasure. Uh, number 3. Jesus would have us view life as a marathon, not a sprint. Short the lesson The Christian life is a marathon, not a sprint. And I know this sounds cliche, but this would be the time to use it and say it and talk about it, right? Like we need to remember this, that faithfulness to Jesus is like the the favorite, like my favorite book title in all of Christendom is this. The Christian life is this, obedience, colon, a long walk in the same direction. Don't you love that title? Obedience, a long walk in the same direction, not just sporadic, but slow, faithful patterns of decision walking with Jesus. And number four, remember that it ends well for the Christian. Friends, it ends well for the Christian. This is great news and this should drive your day and it should give you confidence and hope and peace. We should think about it often and remind each other often of this great truth. Those are the four. Scholars think that the angel here uh, was a guy named Polycarp, the pastor of this suffering church, yet it was so sweet-smelling to God. Um, Polycarp was discipled by John, the beloved disciple, who was discipled by Jesus, which, if you ask me, is a great resume for ministry. Okay, And and, uh, in the book, Martyrdom... Polycarp is recorded um, saying on the day of his death this. Eighty and six years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and savior? You threaten me with fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched. But you ignore the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. And that day, Polycarp was burned to the stake and pierced through with a spear for refusing to burn incense to Caesar. And on his farewell, he said, I bless you, Father, for judging me worthy of this hour, so that in the company of the martyrs I may share the cup of Christ.